The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Senior Pastor Senior Pastor N. Eric Nielsen. You can shed 10 pounds in 10 days the easy way. The room just became full of skeptics, didn't you? What if I said guaranteed? Would that change things? Well, maybe for some, but you all know that usually guaranteed has an asterisk next to it, right? Some reason to doubt. What if I said to you, you can triple your investment in three months with this stock? And then I said, guaranteed. Well, it makes a difference, doesn't it? We all like assurances. We like to take the risk element out of what we do. Am I right? In a lot of situations, most of us are risk aversive. Well, sometimes we take that to the Word of God as well. When He makes a promise to us, when He gives us an instruction, when we know His will, something that we must do. Sometimes we feel like, well, couldn't you just take the risk out of it? But that's where faith comes to happens. See, if we decide that we won't take a job offer because it requires us to compromise on our convictions, we kind of want to know that losing this opportunity for greater pay won't be too expensive later. Won't cost us too much. Or let's say we're going to agree that we're going to obey God's calling. To go out onto the mission field because that's what he wants us to do. Wouldn't it be nice that he also says, "And don't worry, I'll take care of your family." We want that assurance. You have to make a sacrifice at the beginning of the of the month of your tithe, and you receive your pay at the end of the month. You kind of want to know that if I give today, I'll still have enough for the rest of the month. Anyone else? See. If obedience to the Lord is going to mean pain or sadness or having to wait, or maybe even having to be alone, then don't we want the assurance that the reward and the pleasure that we will receive later will be greater than what we must first endure today? Well, when we go through the book of Joshua today, we've divided our sermon into two. I want to quickly review the lesson from last week's sermon. And then I want to summarize for you、uh, today's chapters, Joshua chapter nine, verses twenty-four. But lest we miss on some of the details, I'll have three details I want to look at in the remainder of Joshua chapter four, which I believe can give us that assurance that we often need when we have to trust God and take Him at His word. Because see, I believe that when we look at the conquest of the land. It will give us the confidence to stand on the promises of God. Has anyone ever said that before? The conquest of the land gives us confidence to stand. Well, if you want to quote me on that, make sure you include my name, okay? Because I believe if we study the book of Joshua and see the conquest of the land, you too will have confidence to stand when God gives you His word. And to rely on His promises. So let me quickly review first last week's lesson. We looked at Joshua chapters one through eight, called "More Than Conquerors." 
the Lord was preparing the Israelites and their leader Joshua for conquest of the promised land, the land of Canaan. If you followed along at all in this series, you know that God made that promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and here they were, centuries later, the descendants of Israel, ready to cross into the promised land and cross over the Jordan. The main idea last week was that God was going to be the one to win Israel's battles to conquer the land, but it was important that they were completely obedient. And in Joshua chapters 1 through 8, you see the campaign beginning with the victories over Jericho and Ai given to us in great detail. And we picked out two lessons last week. In case you missed it, here they are again. First of all, that it was God who chose Joshua to be part of his great historical plan. That goal of conquering the land, it wasn't Joshua's idea. It was God's idea. And Joshua was there at that time to be the man that God would use the success of Joshua did not depend on his own abilities, but on God's determination to fulfill a promise that he had made. And establishing Israel in the Promised Land was really still only a small part of God's overall historical plan that has always included the formation of a people who would be, and I quote from 1 Peter chapter 2, a people belonging to God not just from among the Israelites, but from many tribes and nations and tongues. So the lesson for us today is you and I, who are already part of God's kingdom, we are part of a great historical plan of God's. This church that is being built is not our idea, but God's idea. And the plan is destined to succeed in conquering the power of hell and sin and death, not because it depends on us, God is doing it. The second lesson we learned last week was that the equipping of Joshua as the leader of his people, was God, or it was up to God to equip him for it. Joshua was simply a man. He needed the courage and the confidence, and that's exactly what God provided at the right time. And when God calls you and I into his plan of building his church, then he enables and equips us for that great task that the plan requires. Just as Joshua was told, Jesus tells his disciples words of encouragement like, take courage. He says to them, do not be afraid. He says, take heart, and says, I am with you. Now, Joshua chapter 9 through 24, those are the two lessons we learned last week. Today, the, the main idea of Joshua chapter 9 to 24 is that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give their descendants the land of Canaan one territory at a time until they were settled and at rest. God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give their descendants the land of Canaan one territory at a time until they were settled and at rest, until they were literally standing on the promises. So as we open up Joshua chapter 9, first you'll see the campaign continues southward as they begin to conquer some of the lands there. There's a chapter 9 where the Gibeonites deceive Joshua, and they end up remaining in the land. We'll focus on that a little bit later. In chapter 10, Joshua defeats five kings all at once, the kings of the Amorites, while the sun stood still to extend the day. We're also going to look at that later today. And then the conclusion of chapter 10, Joshua continues the campaign southward until the whole region in the south has been subdued. Chapter 11 begins that the campaign continues northward until all of those nations were subdued. 
And then chapter uh, 12, a whole list of kings that were defeated, two on one side of the Jordan, 31 kings on the other side of the Jordan. And then in chapter 13, the campaign ends. The land is divided among the tribes of Israel. Joshua becomes old in years, and the Lord lists some of the land that they still have to go and claim. And then the conclusion, chapters 23 to 24, Joshua gives his final address to Israel, and they renew their covenant, their commitment to the covenant. And I want to uh, turn there to hear Joshua's words at the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 23. In a way, it kind of summarizes everything that has just happened between chapters 9 and 23. In verse 1 of chapter 23, if you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, that after a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for you, for your tribes, all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So verse 6, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So that's the conclusion. At the end of the book of Joshua, God's promises have been fulfilled. But there are at least three de details in the conquest of the land that I want to share with you today because I believe they will give us that confidence to stand on the promises of God. First detail, I'll call this Remember the Gibeonites. So turn back, if you will, into Joshua chapter 9. What happens here? Well, remember, Israel was supposed to conquer the land by destroying all of the nations that occupied it, that occupied it, not to associate with them. That was the command. Now, some today find it rather troublesome that God was commanding Israel to rid the land of its inhabitants, to destroy its people. Remember, the command was given through Moses. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 7, mentioning specifically the nations of the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, saying this, And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. You shall not intermarry with them, he said. And we ask, is this a form of ancient genocide? Could this be anything like the evil that we've seen in dictators in the modern age? Is God justifying the killing of all of these innocents? Well, no. We have to remember, first of all, that this was not a genocide of a particular race. 
God was not commanding them to destroy them because of some kind of orientation they had, political or otherwise. God was using Israel to judge the many peoples of the land that occupied Canaan because they were sinfully wicked. They worshipped false gods like Moloch and Baal and Asherah, where worship practices included the sacrifice of their children in the fire. The worship that was led by priests, they would, be worked in, they would work themselves into a frenzy and slash themselves with swords and spears while they would dance. And when God forbade the Israelites of all kinds of sexual immorality, like incest and bestiality and homosexuality, even sexual relations with a woman having her period, he began it with, you must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do it as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices, he said. So it was because of the, the, the defilement of the people of Canaan that had defiled themselves in those ways. Even the land was defiled, God says, and the Lord was going to expel them in judgment for their sinfulness. And we have to remember that Israel as well, when they began to sin against the Lord, God had to judge them in a very similar way as well. Because associating with the people of the land, intermarrying with them would undoubtedly lead them to following their wicked practices, worshiping those false gods, and God warned them they would suffer similar judgment for such sinfulness. So they were supposed to destroy the people of that land, and then the first such association that never should have happened came when Joshua and the Israelites were deceived by the Gibeonites. Remember the Gibeonites is today's lesson, or one of them at least. Because as word began to spread that Israel was victoriously conquering the land and over Jericho and Ai, uh, the kings began to come together to war against Joshua and Israel. But one group of people did a sneaky trick. It was the Gibeonites. It says in the Bible they resorted to a ruse in order to obtain a treaty, a treaty of peace that they wouldn't be destroyed. They send a peace delegation and this peace delegation was dressed up as though they had traveled from very, very, very far away. They were Israelites were supposed to destroy the people of that land, and they pretended to be people of some other distant country. They showed the Israelites their stale and their moldy bread, their empty and cracked wineskins, their worn-out clothes and sandals, and they pretended that everything was fresh when we started this journey. Look how it is today. And the critical verse is in verse 14 of chapter 9. It says, The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. So thinking that they were people from far away, they made this peace treaty, agreed not to destroy them, and found out three days later that they'd been tricked. Now God, thankfully, turns Joshua's mistake into another series of victories, because then other kings decide to attack the Gibeonites, re realizing what they had done, and Israel then comes to their rescue and destroys them. Now we have to always remember then, remember the Gibeonites, because Israel here trusted in their own senses. They checked their story, in other words, but they didn't inquire of the Lord. They had just experienced a miraculous victory over Jericho. They took down its walls in a highly unusual way, and they figured they could take Ai, or I, with just two or three thousand men, not realizing that Achan and his family had sinned. Had they inquired of the Lord at that time, the Lord would have pointed out Achan's sin before they were defeated at Ai. 
And here, their mistake is clearly stated that they relied on their own senses and made that treaty instead of inquiring of the Lord. And I believe it's the same for you and I. It's too easy for us to make that same mistake. Even though we try to obey the Lord, don't we sometimes trust our senses too much? We go with what feels better. Our reasoning and our logic can sometimes get in the way of a step of faith we must take. We act impulsively or hastily more often than we wait for the Lord and wait for Him to fulfill His promises in His timing. Remember the Gibeonites, I say. Because to, obey his prom- to enjoy His promises, we must obey His commands. And yes, that will require faith to com- and complete dependence on Him. Can the Lord redeem our mistakes? Yes. But isn't it always better to listen to the Lord instead of depend on our senses? Remember the Gibeonites, I'll say. You know, I wonder if that would be a good word for each of us. You know, when we're just about to decide, I'll trust my senses. Have someone come alongside and say, remember the Gibeonites. You know, maybe that's a phrase that we could use to encourage more prayer. Instead of trusting in our own senses, we should pray. So someone should say to us, hey, remember the Gibeonites. They forgot to inquire of the Lord. Let's not forget to inquire of the Lord. And every time we're ready to be confident in ourselves, we get up in the morning, we say, I can manage today's issues and problems and details of today. Remember the Gibeonites. We remember the conquest of the land. We should be confident to stand on the the promises of God and not on ourselves. Then as chapter 10 unfolds, as I said to you before, the Gibeonites were under attack of these five kings. They were about to be attacked, and they sent word to Joshua. Now, remember, there was a peace treaty between them. Now Joshua was obligated to come to their assistance, but they had, they had traveled back to Gilgal, miles away. And Joshua had pledged not to destroy them. Even though the treaty was made in deception, they still honored that treaty. The Gibeonites settled on an agreement that they would be their servants, and so Joshua was then encouraged, come and help your servants because they were under attack. So Joshua musters his troops, and it took an all-night march from Gilgal to Gibeon. Now, by some estimates, the distance was more than 32 kilometers. Think about the last time you walked 32 kilometers in one stretch. It was along winding trails, and there was a climb of about 1,300 feet below sea level to almost 3,000 feet above sea level. And they did all of this under the cover of darkness. Do you think you'd be tired after a trip like that? I think so. But the Lord had promised Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And so after that all-night march came the longest day that has ever happened on earth, quite literally, It was more evidence that the Lord was fighting the battle for Israel because Joshua was able to take the Amorite armies by surprise. They had not expected them to come marching all through the night. And then it was the Lord who threw them into confusion before Israel. And Israel's army, as tired as they were, were able to pursue them. The Lord caused large hailstones to fall from the sky. More died from the hailstones than of the swords of the Israelites. 
And finally, because the day wasn't long enough to conquer all of the, the kings and their people, Joshua asked the Lord to keep the sun from setting. And the Lord heeded by delaying the sundown by, and I, and I quote, by about a full day. Now, I know there are undoubtedly some doubters who would say that can't happen. Because the sun doesn't set. We all know the earth turns. And so for God to keep the sun in the sky for that long, the earth must have stopped turning. And we all know with kinetic energy that if the earth stopped turning, we would all suddenly be moving in the same direction as the earth put on its brakes. And that obviously didn't happen, did it? Well, I say this, that if the Lord is God because he spoke the universe into being, as vast as the universe is and how many hundreds of billions of stars there are, then, friends, stopping the earth from turning is not difficult at all. And maybe something else entirely different from the earth stopping in its rotation happened, and it involved our entire solar system. That's not even a stretch. God spoke the entire universe into being. For him to change something in the solar system is not that difficult for him. Yes, it is a miracle, because anything that defies the laws of nature as we know them would be a miracle. It is the same Lord who is God who can do these things. And if we choose to reject anything that defies the laws of nature as we know them, well, then we're putting our faith in that which is known today. And how much of what is known today is actually all the knowledge that is in all of the universe? Well, very little. As much as we know about the universe today, considering how expansive the universe actually is, our knowledge is actually quite limited. So I choose to believe that delaying the sun from going down, as well as providing bread from heaven and dividing the Red Sea and stopping up the Jordan River, I choose to believe that's all entirely possible. So when the Lord has made a promise, and here's what we need to remember, think about the longest day, because when the Lord has made a promise, he will fulfill that promise, whatever it takes, so that his faithfulness is undeniable. See, the Lord promised Israel they would possess the land. And if it took keeping the sun from setting, then that's what it took, and that's what God did. The Lord did his part, and he gave his people the strength to do their part, even after a long all-night march. Whatever it took, God was faithful to keep his promise, and he demonstrated it in a way that was undeniable to all of those who witnessed the events, whether it was the river stopping until everyone was across, or the walls of Jericho tumbling down, or the strength to march all night, or the hail that destroyed the enemy and not themselves, or even the sun standing still. And if Jesus can raise the dead to life, and if he was raised to life himself, then there is no reason for me to doubt that I too will either be changed and transformed in a moment, or I will be raised bodily again when Christ returns. Jesus promised he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he would return, even if it would take a long time. He told that parable of the ten virgins to say, it could be soon, it could be a long time, but either way, be prepared when I come. The question for us is, are we going to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? He said he will build his church. He told us to make disciples of all nations. 
He will be faithful to do his part if we are faithful to do our part. He will do whatever it takes. He can quite literally give you the moon. Think about that. If you asked for the moon, God could give it to you. Not that I think that he will, but he can quite literally give you the moon. So we have our marching orders, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Now, are we going to say, I'm just too tired and weary for the journey. I'm not going to make it this time. Remember, those who wait on the Lord will rise up with renewed strength and soar as the eagles, Isaiah 40, verse 31. The one who made the promises is the omnipotent, sovereign God. He will do his part to fulfill it. Now, who among us has the faith and the confidence to stand on the promises of the Lord? The conquest of the land should give us confidence to stand on his promises, and I ask you to remember the longest day. Finally, our third detail that I don't want us to miss. It comes in chapter 14, because as the land has been divided, portions of the land have been given to Judah, and Caleb among the sons of Judah, approaches Joshua with a special request. Caleb was now, excuse me, Joshua was now very old and there were still very large areas of land to be taken over. The tribes were assigned their portion. And then there comes this account of a very special territory being given to Caleb because God was going to bless him for having been faithful. You might remember Caleb as one of the only two of the spies who went into the land, who came back and said, we can take it. God is on our side. The other 10 said, oh, the people are so big, their walls are so high, it'll never happen. But Caleb was one of those who was faithful. So he came to Joshua now as an 85-year-old, 40 years had passed, and he was blessed to be just as strong as he had ever been. He's requesting the hill country by Hebron. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Listen to how it's told. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So, on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And then verse 13, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron, as his inheritance. It probably doesn't mean much to you because you don't know much about Hebron. But friends, Hebron was a really nice place. It's about 30 kilometers south of Jerusalem. It's about 3,000 feet above sea level, and it overlooks a fertile valley. It says, with unusual supply of wells and springs, according to the International 
Standard Bible Encyclopedia. This was the part of the land the spies had seen and had affirmed, yes, this land truly does flow with milk and honey. This was the land that was promised to Caleb because he had been faithful. And when you consider that this is a civilization that's dependent on agriculture, what do you need for good crops? You need fertile valleys. This was the best piece of real estate that was available. This was the same district that Abraham had pitched his tents and had purchased the caves that became the burial place for their ancestors. Why was Caleb deserving of this? Because he had been faithful. He had trusted the promises of the Lord. He lived to experience them where everyone else had died in the wilderness. And so the Bible says that Joshua blessed Caleb by giving him Hebron. This was a blessing as his inheritance. It belonged to him and his family ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. I ask you today, if you're ever in doubt about standing on the promises of God, be inspired by Caleb and the reward that he received. Here was an 85-year-old youth, okay? An 85-year-old youth who was about to receive the greatest reward in that land because he had been faithful. He knew he could drive out the Anakites, the same ones that, were, that had caused the other ten spies fear. And he marches against the people. Sorry, he, he, he obtains the land just as he, had, he knew the Lord would help him to do it. He marches then against the people in Debir nearby. And then he promises his daughter Aksa to the man who would succeed in conquering Debir. And his own nephew, Othniel, was up to the task. So Aksa became his wife. Yes, it was his cousin but not a close enough relative for that kind of marriage to be prohibited. And then Aksa comes and asks her father, Caleb, for a special favor. She says, you've given us the southern parts of the land. Now give us the upper, uh, now, now give us uh, uh, some, do a special favor for us. Um, and he asks, what can I do? He says, do me a special favor. Since you've given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And in chapter 15, it says, so Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. This was an abundant land, and Caleb could now give to his family what they desired, this special favor, to have the upper and the lower springs. Friends, this encourages me, knowing that there may be, for a time, pain or sorrow or grief, but obedience to the Lord always yields the greater reward. Believing in his promises, yes, it inevitably means waiting on his timing for their fulfillment. And when it requires faith, I need confidence that God will keep his end of the bargain. Because if I do what he asks, it means sometimes I have to delay my gratification. It means sometimes I have to sacrifice something that's precious to me. It means sometimes I'll have to deny my personal interests. Maybe I'll have to wait for an uncertain, undisclosed amount of time. Maybe I have to step into unknown territory. Maybe I have to do something that I would otherwise be afraid of. But I know that when I have trusted him and I have obeyed in faith, then the reward will be worth the wait. Any sacrifice, any temporary discomfort I may have that I have had to experience pales in comparison to what God is ready to reward me with. The Lord is good. You just have to taste and see. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. 
Lamentations 3, verse 25 to 26, to those who seek him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 147 says, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Are you ready for the Lord to delight in you and to reward you with the best that can be offered? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, verse 8. So I ask you today, do you want to enjoy the blessings, the rewards, and the favor of the Lord? Then what is the Lord asking you to trust him in? Maybe you need to end an unrighteous relationship. Maybe you need to go ahead and accept that job offer. Maybe he's asking you to make a greater financial sacrifice. Maybe he has wanted you to serve in a way that you've never served before. On the other side of the globe, are you willing to give up that sinful habit? Well, one thing is sure. If you obey the Lord and you trust him for the outcome, you will experience the Lord's blessings, his rewards, and his favor. Today, the detail I don't want you to miss is be inspired by Caleb. The reward that he got for having been faithful. He doesn't promise that all these rewards will be in this lifetime. Undoubtedly, some of them will. But we don't grow in faith without first stepping out in faith. And we don't experience his rewards without first being ready to obey. So as we close the book of Joshua, as we come to its conclusion, I hope you have understood that the Lord was going to make sure the Israelites were going to conquer the Canaanites. They would take possession of the land because this was God's promise being fulfilled. And this idea of rest, that's something that you find throughout the Bible, that God wants to give his people rest. And that includes you and me. The Lord is faithful to fulfill every one of his promises. So now when the Israelites were finally at rest, we have Joshua's last words, and I'll close with what he says in, in chapter 24. He says, now fear the Lord, verse 14, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers, uh, the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What will you say today? What about you and your household? Will you enjoy the fruit of having been faithful and having been confident to stand on his promises? Let's pray together. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.vk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.